You're very welcome to today's episode of Skin Deep by Karina Tolan. Today, I'm delighted to have with me Dr. Amory Eustace Ryan, a gastroenterologist with a very keen interest in the microbiome. It's so wonderful to share this platform with a medical expert who also has a wonderful understanding and appreciation for the importance of gut health. I hope you enjoy. Delighted to welcome Dr. Emery Eustace Ryan, gastroenterologist, um, with me here today. Um, as luck would have it, Emery happened to be in Malahide at a conference today, so I grabbed her while I could. We did have a little scenic route. We drove to Malahide. I showed her where the stars lived. We almost got lost, but gladly yeah. not. And it's so great to have you here today. It's such a pleasure. I'm thrilled to be here. And thank you for the opportunity. And it's very, very handy. I was just over the road. So it was meant ideal. to be. Was yes, meant everything to be. aligned for us to come together today. Um, I've been following you for some time now on Instagram and I thoroughly enjoy your account. <laughs> not just the... Um, knowledge bombs that you put out there and the awareness that you generate, which is so important. But I love your energy. I love your zest for life. I love your clothes, your cooking, everything, you. your smile and even more beautiful in real life. When I picked you up today, I was like, wow. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, as I was saying last night, this is the reason why I work with podcasts, this long conversation. You know, there's so many topics that I wanted to really dive into to raise awareness and bring the likes of you on here to um, share exactly what we all need to know. Absolutely. Um, and I love to have the platform in order to put what knowledge I have across because yeah. I'm, I suppose, uniquely positioned in that I work in the front line in medical care mm -hmm. and I'm extremely interested in the pathology, the epidemiology of disease. And my whole mantra in life now is to prevent disease, to actually stop it happening in the first place. Yeah. Because once it happens, it's so, so much harder yeah. to deal with it then. And Absolutely. it takes over your life. For sure. You know, so many people even in mind, I, I feel maybe, but as, you know, when I was researching for today, um, colon cancer is one of the deadliest cancers around. And more and more people in my age group, anywhere from 25 to 50, are being diagnosed with it. I've had people in my close um, circle um, only recently, Malahide Village lost the most beautiful girl to colon cancer. One of my close friends has recently been diagnosed. Um, so it was really important for me for that reason to yeah. raise awareness. Because like you said, awareness is key. Early diagnosis is key. And of course, prevention. Yes. So let's talk about that. Let's talk specifically about colon rectal Col cancer. Colon cancer. Okay, I would see quite a lot of it. I suppose the, the figures are roughly about 2,700 cases in Ireland diagnosed every year. And if you're a woman, you have probably one in 18 chance of at some stage in your life being diagnosed. And if you're a man, one in 15. Okay. Um, one, 50, one in every 15 people. Um, in, in England, they have about 120 new cases a day. So, yeah. so it is very, very much to the forefront. Of, of all our practice, but very much in my thoughts of the prevention of it. Yeah. And why do you think this surge is, is occurring? No doubt down to our diet. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, it, you always have to a little bit account for genetics. But yes. the way I look at genetics is that they um, kind of load the gun mm -hmm. and your lifestyle pulls the trigger. And I would be very, very much of that. There is a few but they would be in a very much a minority where you're going to get a cancer anyway. But they are very, they're quite rare. 
actually. Okay. So, yeah, it's our modern lifestyle ever since World War Two, when the masses have had to be fed and factories started and the food companies became so very, very powerful and the drink companies, the soft drink companies, etc. Um, food has gone into factories and been altered. And when it's altered, they take out the fibre and they put in sugar. Okay. And they put in um, flavourings, sweeteners, stabilizers, emulsifiers, you name it, Pfizer's, they'll go into it. Mm. And they are the problem. They absolutely well, are. highly addictive. First Very of all, addictive. Fiber, unfortunately, is not addictive. Yeah, exactly. And Karina, they put people into CT scanners in the States and they feed them. They find an optimum sweet spot. They find the pleasure centers lighting up with this, just that certain amount of salt and certain amount of sugar. It is so immoral what they do. And that standard American diet, which actually the, the, the letter stands sad, mm. that is the diet that um, is coming here more yeah. and more and more. You only have to look around, look around at the street, look around at Advertisers. people. Advertisers. I just seen David yeah. Beckham do the World Cup, Lay's and Doritos. Yeah, I know. It's shocking. It's everywhere. He doesn't even need the money. No, <laughs> no that is true. Shameful. Yeah, it is shocking. And there's no there's no kind of legislation about food porn, as I call yeah. it, on, on billboards and everywhere and for schools and for children. Very, very difficult. Very difficult to rear children now in this fast food culture we have. Absolutely. And it is yeah. literally destroying, physically destroying lives. Yeah, totally. And it's not just cancer, but I know we're talking about colorectal cancer at this present moment, but it's not just cancer, it's all the autoimmune diseases. It's a well, lot of the cancers. About that. Let's talk yeah. about that. Obviously, inflammation in yeah, the, in inflammation's the terrible in the body. And just basically to go right back, why inflammation happens in the body yeah. is because of the microbiome not being optimal. So basically your microbiome is a colony of bugs that live in your large bowel, by and large your large bowel. Mm -hmm. Probably about, there's varying ideas about the amount, but about 60 trillion of them. And they actually run our lives. They're absolutely vital. Yeah. And everything we eat, they eat. It's yeah. as simple as that. Anything that goes into our mouths has potential to kill or cure us. Being a little bit dramatic about it, but in a cumulative sense, yeah. that is the way yeah. it is. So if you eat well enough, and why well enough, I mean fibre, because way back in the 1950s, an Irish surgeon working in Africa called Dennis Burkett was the first to kind of really spot that the native Africans there were not getting any kind of much cancers. They were all, you know, they were never putting on weight. They were, And he was putting down to the fibre in their diet. But he didn't realise the fibre is important because it actually feeds the microbiome. It arrives in your bowel unaltered. And the bugs that are favourable in your bowel, the good ones, because there's bad ones also, mm -hmm. the good ones eat the fibre and get stronger. They produce the mucus layer that lines the gut and, and protects it from leaking. Yeah. And it protects. And what happens if it leaks is that it sets off an inflammation in your body because the toxins get out of your the gut, the endotoxins get out. They send messages to the brain, which is hugely to do with the gut. The gut is your second brain anyway. Mm -hmm. um, there's a huge network of uh, blood vessels, of hormones being produced, everything. And the message gets to the brain via them and also the vagus nerve, which is hugely important. And uh, the, the, the whole thing is a whole cascade of a, vir of a spiral of a, of a vicious circle, really. 
And in a nutshell, it's it's a, it's complicated, but actually it's not. It's actually not. You know what's, what's going around in my brain here? You know that mm-hmm. saying, feed the good wolf, feed the good yeah. biome. It's exactly the yeah. same thing. Because of course, those bad bacteria, they love sugars. They love sugar. They absolutely thrive on sugar and they get kind of stronger yeah. and they kill off the yeah. good ones. And yeah. if they're in preponderance, you're in real trouble. Yeah. And you only have to do the job I do where I'm scoping people day in, day out. And that's what I do mainly is scoping, looking at stomachs and looking at bowels with people with various symptoms. And before I ever scope them, I just know all I need to do is is change the diet. And the first thing I'll always say to them is, you know, to explain to me what way they eat. And most people will really admit, oh, I don't eat well, doctor. But the penny hasn't dropped that they don't feel well because they haven't eaten well. It it hasn't dropped. And my kind of mission in life for the length of time I've left is to put the message out there that what you eat is absolutely so vital to protect you, protect your health and protect your figure, protect your mind, protect you from autoimmune illness, protect you from most of the cancers, um, from obesity, everything, what you eat and why and why. Because it's the microbiome. Because you can stand up in front of class of children and they do the food dudes and you say the apple is good and the banana is good, but the burger is bad. and the But nobody has told them why. And yeah. I think if children understood why mm. and they knew what the microbiome is, mm-hmm. it would be so different. I'd love to be able to stop any child in the street in 20 years time and say, what's the microbiome? Or a child that has grown up, obviously, in the Irish school system. And they'll know because I can stop the young doctors in the corridors in our hospital and they don't know. They don't know. And they've gone through medical schools. And what's more, a lot of my colleagues, I'm not saying they don't know, but they have no great interest in it. And they just have never been taught. It was never mentioned in medical school when I was there. And now it is the the absolute emphasis on the microbiome would be very latter day, all right, mm. as in the last couple of decade, I suppose. But it was never taught. We were never taught one single word about nutrition. We were taught about the things you'd always know, the proteins, the carbohydrates, the macronutrients, like the yeah. proteins, the carbohydrates, the, um, the glucose, the sugars, whatever. But nobody ever told us about the absolute vital importance of the micronutrients that yeah. you get from from food. Um, be, that be the vitamins, the minerals, the, the micronutrients, the phytochemicals from the green in plants. We were never told that. And the vast majority of doctors out there do not know it either. They yeah. actually don't. And through no fault of their own, they were never taught it. And, you know, it yeah. just wasn't ever at the forefront mm-hmm. of medicine. And, and it should be. Yet these people are writing prescriptions for antibiotics, which yeah. are destroying the microbiome as well. Well, absolutely. And, and of course... I, far from be it from me to say food is not medicine. Food is not medicine and you need your medicine if you need your medicine. My idea is food is preventative medicine. That's what I'd say. So I'm trying to stop people get sick in the first place. So you don't have to have. When you are sick or you have a chest infection and the doctor feels you need an antibiotic, then you probably do. But it is a pity to use antibiotics the way they're used because they are used really nearly. Well, isn't yeah. um, antibiotic resistance one of the greatest threat to mankind? Absolutely. So we need to be more responsible in that in that element. Oh, yeah. But also even if write the prescription, but also say, and so you know, this is also going to simultaneously destroy your good bacteria. So I yeah. need you to make sure your diet has those micronutrients, yes. etc. Eat optimally. In accountability. 
Yeah. You know, and and to respect that. Yeah. People just, just they don't see that. And it's 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 same the proton pump inhibitor tablets, which are the antacid blockers, they're the same. There's so many people on them, almost everybody in the country is on those at this stage. And they're all very fine, but in a long term use, they're they're hitting the acid in your stomach. And the acid in your stomach is very necessary to break mm-hmm. down your food. So they're they're acid blockers, that's what they are, proton pump inhibitors and they're not ideal either for long-term use. There are people who need them. There are people who need to stay on them forever. And there are people with the likes of Barrett's esophagus, which is not for us to worry about today, but certain people do need them. Mm-hmm. But there's an awful lot of people out there that don't and they're on them long-term. And is it possible that they are on them because of inflammation? Well, they're on them mainly because they've got reflux. And the reflux is mainly because they're overweight. And they're overweight mainly because they're either um, eating very badly. And the other thing is a lot of them are smoking. Yeah. So that all those things called reflu- cause reflux. Yeah. Now, not all of them, but a, a vast majority. Yeah. 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 And... Let's go back to um, exercise, actually. Yeah. We just tip off that because that also is so important for gut and gut health. Hugely important. I mean, it's all encompassing. It's not just the gut and it's not just your food. The whole kind of thing of living. Exercise is absolutely vital. And as you get older, particularly to prevent the likes of Alzheimer's and everything, they've been, there's a lot of studies coming out of California showing that exercise is absolutely vital. Now, I'm not saying running marathons, just say nice, brisk yeah. walk yeah. Um, most days, if you yeah. can, for even 20 minutes, half an hour. Yeah. If you're able to go to uh, even in your own home or in a gym and do some weights, because weights are actually very, very good for your body yeah. and for the messages going mm-hmm. to your brain. So exercise is very, very important too. But I suppose my my mission is, and I'm not saying it's not exercise, but my mission is food. And it kind of would go in, go together then because if people are eating the way I'd like them to eat healthy, they're healthy people and they're okay. also outside and not so much exercise even as nature. Yeah. They have to go out and listen to the birds singing and and enjoy life and take deep breaths and look at the sea and listen to the waves. Just take a pleasure in life. But it kind of all comes together. If you get your food together, your mind is kind of very content. You're in a very, very good place. Yeah, a very good place. Yeah. And, you know, because that's self-care and that's self-love. Yeah. Let's talk about um, an ideal. I don't know if you want to give me an example of a normal day for you diet wise or (laughs) if you want to tell me what's your dream day. Yeah, because I mean, I'm watching you and your food and it looks pretty ideal. Yeah, I I love the way I eat. I, I would I would just I suppose the way I eat is plant based and plant based, but not plants only. So very much an emphasis on plants because I think they're hugely important. As I say, Karina, things that your grandmother would, uh, would recognise as food, so things that grow on the ground, that grow on trees, yeah. that have always been not things that come out of packets in fa- and go into the into the shop. So, I would um, always, almost always, breakfast on one of two things. Now, variety is very good, and um, but I vary it within itself. So, mm-hmm. I either have the overnight oats, mm-hmm. or I have egg and uh, one of my brown scones that I make and greens. Okay. Um, and maybe an avocado. Okay. So, uh, will I tell you about the overnight oats? Just yes, roughly the way, because I would use oats as a conduit to get other things into me. 
So I wouldn't eat oats just in oatmeal on its own. I have about eight things in it or nine even. I'll tell you what I have. Um, I'd always have three types of berries if I have them. Yeah. Blueberries. Uh, berries are extremely good for you because they're very, they absolute feed food for your microbiome because they're full of phytonutrients, which are the nutrients in plants and everything. So I'd have blueberries, strawberries and maybe raspberries or blackberries, something like that. Um, three types of seeds. Seeds are hugely important as well for, for the bugs in your bowel. They love them, all of them. Linseed, chia seed, hemp seed, sunflower seed, pumpkin, you name it. doesn't matter which ones, but I'd have the variety. There's all, I'm always being asked, you know, should you use whole seeds or ground seeds? I'd say a mixture thereof okay. because the ground are very, very good um, because they actually really hit the spot. The, 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 lar- the larger ones are very good for kind of um, bulk, bulk, but right. unless you chew them really well, their nutrient value okay. is a bit lost. Okay. So I use a combination and I just have a tin and I put equal amounts of both in and then yeah. sprinkle them. And then I I, I would add nuts not anymore because I eat nuts in my car, but if I wasn't eating nuts in my car and my journeys like I do now, I'd add three types of nuts as well. So literally a layer of oats, a little bit of seed, a layer of fruit, or layer, layer, layer up and always organic oats because I think whenever you can eat organic and organic oatmeal is not expensive at all nowadays. And um, I usually eat or take, put oat milk on it for no other reason that is kind of good. It's not inclined to go off as quickly as ordinary milk. I have no problem with ordinary milk, but I use oat milk because I think it's a really healthy breakfast. So that's the oat, that's the overnight oats. Okay. And that's made the night before because the best oats are kind of soaked like that. Now, there is a downside to oats and, and that is because they have a high glycemic index. Okay. Um, do you know what a high glycemic index kind of means? Uh, it, it just means that maybe two hours after you eat that the glucose is highish in your blood compared to eating other yeah. things. But it's still a very good whole grain to eat. So it's I wouldn't have it every day, but it is good. Now, they say the overnight oats are way better than eating instant oats. You know, you see the instant packets yeah. and you do them in the microwave. Their glycemic index is higher again. Okay. So you should always try to go for the soaked ones. So the other mornings then, which is the breakfast I would prefer now, is my egg. Now I have my own girls at home. Really? My ladies in the garden and they lay eggs every day. So I, we have no waste of food. Well, I have sons anyway, so there's hardly any waste <laughs> of food. My daughter lives in Dublin mainly. So uh, I would feed them beans. I actually cook extra beans every evening and feed them to the hens the next day. So they're super healthy hens. So I would have an egg um, I have, I'm in the lucky position, I have an aga, so I don't need any oil to cook the egg because it literally goes on a sheet on, the sh- on this plate. Okay. So that's oil free um, mm-hmm. cooking, if you like. I, if I have those little coloured tomatoes, I'd put them on beside the egg because tomatoes are extremely good for you. Better for you cooked than raw. Very good for you raw too, but better cooked. Okay. It brings out some of the goodness in it. And then I have a handful of greens. I love microgreens. I love sprouts. There's lovely, lovely ones out there nowadays. Um, and spinach if I have it, rocket if I have it, um, kale if I have it. Um, and I would, a cavolo nero, I'd cut them up smallish because they can be tough enough to eat raw. But they're very good for you and they're going in on the raw state and the green leafy vegetables are the best food of all. There are There is no better food than the green leafy vegetables of some sort and lettuce, any of those. Iceberg lettuce has no great value now because of its commercial 
reduction, apparently, right. mm-hmm. but the greener lettuces do. So any of those green things go on the plate alongside the egg, alongside, um, I might have an avocado as well. And I have my own brown scones. I have two different recipes. They're actually on my page on Instagram. I have one original one that is a lot of, lot of fibre in them. And I've one now that I've started making that is less fibre and maybe for people who are starting out making their own scones, they're a bit easier okay. and less ingredients. Okay. Yeah, and I've one of those. And I would have a scrape of butter on my scone and a bit of marmalade because you can't be good all the time. No. And I'm like Paddington Bear, I love marmalade. Love so marmalade. So that would be, and a mug of tea. So that's my breakfast. So that is how I, what my breakfast. And always, if I can, 12 hours after my dinner, roughly, um, because I, you know, intermittent fasting. Yeah. Um, this is a real buzzword at the moment, and I think there's going to be a lot of research in the future showing that intermittent fasting can almost cure some of the diseases. I think wow. it's terribly important, but done under medical supervision if you're going for prolonged fasts, and we're not really into that in this country. But you can do your own kind of intermittent mm-hmm. fasting by eating your dinner no later than seven in the evening, because you have to cut your cloth according to your measure. Mm-hmm. The absolute ideal thing would be to keep all your eating within about six hours time frame. But I can't do that with the way I work. So I would try to finish my dinner by six or seven in the evening and not have another bite till the morning for my my breakfast. That's then 12 hours. And that is um, really good. And the reason it's really good is that your system, when you eat, it it initially it breaks down all your food. It sends it to all the places it needs to go for, you know, for to be broken down. Your glucose obviously is all your energy. We all need it. Um, and your proteins or whatever. And for about four to five hours after you eat, your body is working, digesting it. And it can't do two things at once. When it's finished digesting, it starts fat burning. Can't do the two. So if you eat late at night. So if you eat, which I was doing until I learned all my research and realised this. So I would have my dinner around six and then I might have, um, you know, a cup of tea around nine and I might go to bed with my lovely yogurt and seeds and nuts, which was all very healthy. But I was giving my system too much to do because by the time you go to bed at 11, you should be maybe four or five hours after eating. And all your system has to do overnight is your housekeeping, your fat burning, your housekeeping, putting everything in order and nothing else to do. It does not want to digest as well as fat burn. It can't actually. So that's how people put on weight because they go to bed, they eat too late. They're, that that food is is lodged in the systems and, you, and they don't have time before they get up in the morning to burn any of it off. Wow, that is absolutely yeah. fascinating. Yeah, so that's one secret. And I'd always say to people that are trying to lose weight, stop eating at seven in the evening. Don't yeah. eat another bite. Now, if you really want water, you can have it. Mm-hmm. That won't do you any harm. I tend not to have anything at all because I find if I drink too much water at night, I'm up during yeah. the night weeing anyway. Okay. Um, so I that's what I do. So right. that is, yeah. And do you think given the, the gut, that time? Oh, very important. Yeah. Very important because it's during those hours that that, that mucus layer is layered down. That is one of your housekeeping. The okay. mucus layer so is laid is down. Microbiome is working away behind the scenes, laying down that mucus layer, which is absolutely vital because your your bowel wall is really really thin, yeah. and it's protecting you. And it's it's so very 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 important. Yeah. 
Yeah, essential, obviously, for for taking the nutrients out of your food. Yeah. Um, afterwards and not let it, Yeah, you know, taking the good ones escape. and letting off the other ones and that yeah. kind of thing. And then your liver, of course, comes into it all as well. The liver is hugely vital. Yeah. Everything, you know, it is, it's absolutely fascinating to think how our bodies work. You've yeah. ever thought, even since we've sitting here today, all the things that are happening to feed our brain with what I want to say to you next and, you know, my whatever is working inside my stomach and, you know, your yeah. breathing, your, your yeah. like, it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, absolutely. It is the perfect engine, if you wish. Is, yeah. So this is why, I mean, we all know we have to pull up to the garage and give the car <laughs> yeah. the fuel it needs or it yeah. literally will not move. Your body is the same. It is. So if it's performing all these incredible functions, you... It seems like you're doing yourself a real injustice by starving yeah. it of the vital nutrients. You are, of abusing it with yeah. the wrong ones. Yeah. Like, it's such a shame. Yeah, yeah. Like, why would you do that? It's your one, and this is your one and only life. Yeah. And this is your one and only body. Yeah. And, you know, your body should be your temple, yeah. really. Yeah. You know, I often say, if you think um, choosing a healthy life is expensive, try being unhealthy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've seen it even myself in the past few weeks. I've had a, a nerve impingement in my neck and I yeah. have never spent so much money at <laughs> Lib. I'm like, I, if you will help me, I will give you whatever you want. If you yeah. will help me, I'm at physios, I'm at acupuncturists, I'm at doctors and the beacon, MRIs, just That's everything. Yeah. Oh, you, well, I was so frightened because genuine MRI, I'm so healthy. So healthy, I don't even have a GP. Yeah, I actually I don't know. have I didn't even know the lady's name I had to ring the reception to find out the lady who looked after me what that's her name was that's a great though it really is and that's the way I like it and I was yeah. uh, I got such a shock um, you know and, and again just being so aware of what my body needs because you know I have to help it too yeah. but you were going to talk about brain food and feeding the brain tell me what well it's it's the same thing really I mean feeding the brain is, is the same really as feeding the, the gut because that's the like it's just it, it the brain kind of doesn't want to be disturbed, you know, it wants yeah. to just be kind of the microbiome, keep your micro, microbiome optimal. The vagus nerve isn't getting all these messages and it's not getting annoying the brain. So really brain food would be the, the foods that I'm really, 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 really recommending. Well, all the green leafy vegetables, nuts, beans, seeds, you name it. Well, yeah. going back to the fact that mm. the, the gut is your second brain, 80% of your serotonin is made in the gut. It so is. essentially the gut is feeding the brain. Yes, it is. And that's how we feel good. Hugely important. Yeah. And all those neurotransmitters and all the, like it's, it's so intricate the, the, how your body works with all those kind of, yeah. uh, those kind of yeah. trace elements and everything. It's, it's just extraordinary. And it just, it's just so important. Yeah. And that would be another thing that kind of it pushed me on to kind of do all the research I'm doing now and to try to get the message out there mm-hmm. is that I was scoping an awful lot of young people in their teens and twenties Um on serotonin, you know, the SSRIs, the serotonin reuptake inhibitor tablets like Prozac, et cetera, et cetera, mm. um, because they were eating the wrong food. Simple as. So I mean, that's just it. the body, just not, you know, the serotonin not being produced, um, what, what they were eating, given the wrong, not, well, given the wrong messages to the bowel, the bowel not produced in the mucus, the, the bowel leaking. And then setting off that cascade of reaction that if you get inflammation coming out of your bowel, it's going to send a message via the vagus nerve and the endotoxins to your brain to shut down. And if things go at at that, you know, causing anxiety, that is the anxiety foods. I mean, Mm. and, you know, nearly all those young people I'd have talked to, they would almost all have eaten very suboptimally, you know, hardly any fruit and vegetables, um, fast food, 
a white bread sandwich at lunch, yeah. um, a ham sandwich maybe. Um, you know, just just terrible, terrible. Yeah. And I'd say to them, you know, you can change everything, everything, including get off your tablets, albeit carefully and under your doctor's supervision, I hasten to add. But yeah. you can change all of that. Almost all of these would be overweight as well. Yeah. And that is very much, oh, and you know, it's all part of it. I mean, the, the oh, overweight, if you, you know, what you want to, I ideally aspire to for a healthy life and a healthy body is be a normal weight, not smoke at all. Yeah. Drink in moderation mm-hmm. and take exercise. If you can do them, you're not doing too badly. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people are falling quite short. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of, of the, you know, feeding the, the colon and the gut and then the brain, of course, I work in the skin industry and yeah. it when people make these changes, it manifests hugely on the skin yeah. not only for inflammatory skin conditions but I would often say to them you know we see the skin and unfortunately yeah. we're human we, we may do something for aesthetic reasons quicker but every organ is benefiting if, if you can so. see your skin has turned and is looking healthier well yeah. then we can only assume that every organ is performing and is actually oh, yeah. healthier as and well. it's all fed but it's just so important yeah. It's so important. I can see, and I'm already twenty years older than you, but I can see like my skin, like, and I haven't had any Botox or anything like that. Yeah. Um, you know, because I kind of eat like I do, my yeah. skin is is not looking yeah. as old as I probably should at my yeah. age. As, yeah. You know, I'm not saying I don't have lines, but yeah. it's not. You know, I just feel it's healthier. Mm-hmm. And I think it's wonderful to be able to eat yourself into that state of health. Yeah, so for important. Sure. Um, you know, given that, and obviously lifestyle impacts hugely, but there is obviously still people who eat really well and still succumb to yeah. disease. And that is, is and can happen. So let's just run through, typically because it was um, colon and rectal cancer that we are speaking yeah. about today. You know, awareness is so important. And obviously um, any change in, ha- in habits, etc., yeah. is really, really important that people don't ignore. Because from what I was speaking to, he was just like, you know, I just thought maybe I was a little bit constipated or I just thought, you know, yeah. I had a lot of stress and when I have stress and maybe a little bit of IBS. But these things can all obviously be symptoms. They can. So let's talk about that, you know, what, what people should look out for. Okay, so like, and I don't want people up out there worrying and everything, yeah. but and the, when all said and done, the instance of colon cancer, 90% are over 50 years old. Don't forget that. Okay. And the vast majority of them are over 60, actually. Okay. Um. So, and it's right, preponderance of men over women. But there are people now in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s with quite aggressive bowel cancer. And, um, and through no fault of their own, perhaps, but perhaps their environment, and don't forget, it's their food, but also what we're breathing. So what about pesticides? What about herbicides? What about what's in the air? So the symptoms you would look out for, and these far from cause are the cause of breast or of colon cancer, yeah. but at the same time, the ones you would be kind of saying you take up a notice. Bleeding from the back passage can never be ignored, never be ignored. And I, the vast majority of people that have that have either kind of a chronic constipation that kind of tears one of the little veins in the rectum because they're quite thick in the rectum, the veins, compared to the rest of the bowel. And if you've got a bit of hard poo rubbing up against them, they could just make it bleed. Or hemorrhoids, similarly, because you're constipated, you cause little varicose veins in your bottom piles, Mm. in other words. That's what they are. So the vast majority of that, but you would never ignore that. The other thing is your bowels will change. They could change. They could, if you're just, you start being... 
not so much constipation is not really an indication, but maybe a bit of diarrhea one day and a bit of constipation another and a bit of constipation, a bit of diarrhea and just not quite the mm-hmm. same. Um, might get a bit bloated, but it would be uncommon. But um, pain can be a um, can be a symptom of um, colon cancer. Now, not you'd always say cancer is pain. That's not always in the colon, especially the right sided cancers can cause a bit of pain. Where would so that pain present? The, usually that? on the right side, kind of just in the right kind of kind of under the liver okay. or around there, that's around that area. But again, what else is in there and what's common? Well, gallbladder is in there too. So, you know, the common things are common or common. And for yeah. everybody out there is a pain like this, 99% of them are going to have something else mm. or something that's never going to be found. Yeah. So um, obviously weight loss, unexplained weight loss is is would be a concern always to us and um, looking out for bowel cancer. Um, a family history would be significant, especially a family history where there was a young bowel cancer. Okay. You know, if your father had bowel cancer when he was 40, mm. well then really, truly, you should probably be scoped 10 years younger than that at mm. 30 even if with no symptoms, just to have a little look, wouldn't yeah. do any harm. And that's what I'd always say to people. So family history, very, very important. So there's the kind of nuts and bolts of it. If right. you have a family history, um, try to get done 10 years younger than the person was diagnosed at. So yeah. if your father had bowel cancer um, at 60, try to be scoped by 50 anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling, and I, I don't know if this is scientific or not, but I kind of feel if it's your mother has bowel cancer, it's a little more inclined to be the daughter. Okay. Would be a danger, but not necessarily so. And similarly, the father and the son, but not necessarily so as either. And we talk about family history of being significant first degree relatives. So we don't really think about uncles and aunts yeah. and cousins. Yeah. Um, even though we wouldn't discard it completely, mm. I'd be talking about your siblings mm-hmm. and your parents. Mm. That's the family history we're yeah. interested okay. in. Um, so they're the really things, the blood PR, the maybe um, the change in bowel habit, maybe a bit of bloating, the pain, weight loss. Um, and pain particularly that wakes you up at night. It shouldn't wake you at night. Pain shouldn't wake you at night. It it is usually pathological and not necessarily cancer. It could be any of the funny things that cause pain, but pain shouldn't wake you at night. If it does, you should definitely go to your doctor and see. Now, age-wise, we have the most fantastic bowel cancer screening service now when you get to 60 in Ireland. And it's doing the most fantastic work. There are centres. My own hospital used to do it. We actually don't. Presently, we were doing it. Waterford would be our nearest one now. And when you get to 60, you get a letter in the post from the bowel cancer screening service and they say, would you like to participate? And you say yes. And for God's sake, say yes. Why not? And all they do is they send you a little sample pot to put a little bit of poo in now. It's the easiest thing, not at all distasteful. You've put your poo, a little bit of poo in the pot and send it off to the stamped addressed envelope and they come back to you. If there's microscopic blood, and that's all they're looking for, if there's microscopic okay. blood in it, they will recommend that you go for colonoscopy to one of the centres, that's okay. approved centres with the proper endoscopist in it that, uh, that know what they're at. And if there isn't, they say you actually probably don't need a colonoscopy. That said, if you're symptomatic, you go a different mm-hmm. route. But this is the ordinary people, Joe Soap at 60, will get this. Now, in America, because of the problems they have with their diet and 50% of Americans now are overweight or obese, they start this at 40 
So we're a bit away from that okay. and we're also a bit away behind them with our statistics. So hopefully we won't be ever as bad as them. Yeah. But I, we are trying to bring ours back to a younger age. But once you get to 60, that is offered okay. to you. And we kind of use that now to screen people. Say if you came to me and heaven forbid your mother had bowel cancer at 59, you came to me at 49 or 50 and I scoped you and you were okay. I'd say to you, well, Karina, when you get to 60, they will actually approach you to see about this and we won't need to see you necessarily okay. you will be approached anyway but yeah. if you have symptoms obviously we'll see you before that so that's kind of we are using it now as a screening brilliant. service which is brilliant absolutely so that is that is yeah. so important yeah. to take up that service don't oh for God's sake don't ignore it I no. mean it's free it's for nothing we're very lucky to have it there's a few countries I was reading about Hungary, which is one of the highest rates of bowel cancer in the world. And they were very slow to implement and put in a place, a screening service right, okay. and a very high bowel cancer rates, actually. Yeah. Or did well, there have. you go. So mm. it just shows you how important it is. And actually, that brings me um, nicely on to HPV. You know, we, we're so grateful for women like yeah. Vicky and Bielan and Lindsay, of That's course, thing, for yeah. IP to both of those champions. Wonderful. For what they have done for us. Wonderful. Um, you know, I have two daughters now vaccinated for HPV, thankfully, yeah. because of them. Um, so I want to speak to you briefly about that because I was just a little bit kind of inquisitive myself. I, I was diagnosed with HPV and then thankfully we have such an incredible healthcare system. Yeah. Um, amazing care was taken of me in the rotunda and I think maybe every six months I had a smear until I was ne HPV negative, which was within a year, which was amazing too. I was delighted. Um, but then I often, you know, it, it bounced to my mind again, you know, should, at my age, should I be vaccinated? Maybe if I'd had a HPV negative or, you know, yeah. because obviously, you know, cancers can happen at any stage. HP, of course HPV they can. can be yes. responsible for cervical, throat cancers, anal cancers. Um, it's because HPV is a virus, obviously, same HPV is what warts on hands. Yeah. Um, close skin to skin contact. And um, most people will probably have it in their lifetime if they haven't been vaccinated. So a couple of little questions. First of all, the vaccination, let's say, that Grace and Emer had, does that mean that they will probably never get HPV or will that have to be boosted at some point in the future? Or? To my knowledge, it's not boosted. OK. Now, I'm not certain about that right. because it's not so much my area. I actually used to, I used to have a kind of a day that I wasn't scoping and I just, the, the scope wasn't available. I used to do some schools vaccinations. Okay. I used to have to supervise them. And I was absolutely amazed by the number of children that refused that, whose parents hadn't signed the consent for the HPV. I was oh absolutely God. astounded. And we did the boys' schools now as well. And, you know, they're offering it to the boys, yeah. which is just as important. For sure. And there was a sizable number of them not getting it, which was a shame. In my opinion, I think any vaccination you're offered, you should say, thank God we live in a country mm. that's so far seeing that we're actually offered them. Yeah. Um, so, listen, yes, I mean, it, it's an absolute no brainer to have it. Now, to be honest and to my shame, I don't know whether you can or should have it in later life. I don't know. Like, I haven't ever had it because obviously it was way before my time. Yeah. And actually, my boys who are older never got it because they're obviously whenever we were in the school system when it was being offered. So, whether it's been rolled out generally, I'm actually not sure. Maybe a question for your GP. Yeah. But, you know, we are so blessed because my sister mentioned to me that if, if I was to go with Grace and Eamon and I asked for them to vaccination, I think it would cost over a thousand euro for each, yeah. each of them. Yeah, it's so very expensive to, to be mean, done other than in the school system. I mean, yeah. I mean all cancer is the devil, but cervical cancer terrible. is horrific. Well, to um, think there's something you can do to prevent it. Yeah. 
Absolutely. You know, it's, it's why not? And you know? we've seen the incredible success with screening, you yeah. know, up until yeah. that. But apparently screening. the numbers coming in from the UK who are vaccinating earlier than we were um, started a programme before we had. And there's a massive reduction in cervical cancer, thank God, because yeah. of, of this vaccination. No, all those, uh, like any of those cancer preventative things are just, just a no-brainer in my yeah. opinion. They me really, too. really are. Yeah, me So too. I think it's wonderful that we live in a country that's yeah. actually giving it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'd forgotten about that cost thing. I remember them saying that the schools, if you don't have it now, it's going to cost you a lot of money to have it. Yeah, so absolutely. yeah, what a good idea. So I don't know how anyone or why anyone would refuse that, but that is, I guess, their yeah. business. But yeah. I'd be thinking of, of the future, you know, um, for sure, for the girls for sure. And that's what I would be concerned about. So let's let's chat. I just want to briefly um, touch with you on vaping again, going back to Grace and Emer. Only yeah. vaping was obviously never going to be a thing for me. Um, I was never going to take up vaping at this stage of my life. But it's oh, the kids, it's huge amongst yeah, teenagers at the moment. See. It really is. And I just don't have very much knowledge about it. And I was wondering if you do, can you help us? Like, is it dangerous? How dangerous? Is it addictive? Is there nicotine in it? I'm clueless. Yeah, no. And I, again, it's, it's not so much my area, but I do know a bit about it because I'd be always kind of listening as I'm kind of, I hate to see youngsters vaping and more and more of them are. So listen, when vaping came in initially, it was so people would get off cigarettes and, you know, it was going to be ultimately better than mm-hmm. cigarettes because there wasn't nicotine in this. And there are hundreds and thousands even of chemicals in nicotine in your cigarettes. But there's also lots of chemicals in your vapes. And no matter what they say, a lot of those chemicals are not um examined or even allowed, not so much allowed, but not not allowed because they're not examined. There's only about 100 chemicals out there that have ever been looked at. The rest are kind of willy nilly. And the thing about vaping is that it's hugely addictive. Mm. And who's to say what is chemicals are in it and what things are going to subsequently be added to Mm. it by you or by other people that are, you know, saying, why not try this? Mm -hmm. So, there are being, there are studies now showing deaths from with vaping from lung disease and things like that. And my big, big fear, because it's not in long enough or have very much epidemiology evidence, is that we look back in 25 years time and say, oh, my God, it was as bad as cigarettes, if not worse. And I think it's an absolute shame to see youngsters start vaping that had never been smoking, that just start vaping because that's the cool thing to do. Well, I mean, if the cool thing to do is volunteering as a human clinical trial, that's ultimately what they are doing. I mean, that's the conversation I'll be having with my daughters. Yeah, yeah. I'd be absolutely horrified um, if any of mine vaped. Well, they wouldn't. I'd shoot them. (laughs) I I just wouldn't tolerate it. And that's it. Mine are all vague, but no way. Yeah. I'd be yeah. horrified. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It's a bit yeah. of the unknown, but it's definitely not good. Yeah. And it's dirty yeah. and it's a disgusting looking thing to have yeah. hanging yeah. around in your absolutely. hand. You see somebody coming, holding on to it like it's the last thing on earth. There's a gold yeah. bar and yeah. sucking on it like all their life depends on it. Drives my husband bananas. <laughs> Literally bananas. <laughs> I do. giggle. I giggle because <laughs> thankfully I have um I've just I've worked hard on this, right? Where I have this ability to um I call it take my power back. And if someone's doing something that's frustrating me, I just go into a zone and I'm like, where would I be without this feeling? 
I'd be in a much happier place. Oh, yes, so I separate myself. Doing. Doing. So I'm, I'm here, here looking at my husband going, where would you be without that feeling? <laughs> Take your power back. Very good. And he's like, ugh. But um, yeah, so um, and that's vaping. So then lastly, what I absolutely want to speak to you about is some would consider it a disease. I don't know if where I'm at on that, but aging. Um, to me, like I said at the beginning, I think you are just such a beautiful I, woman. I love your energy. I love your zest. I love I love how much you love your body. And what I mean by this is how much respect you have for your body, the way you feed it. And even the way you talk about the foods you feed us, it's just so loving. Yeah. Your clothes, the way you dress your body. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, like, it's I, I just, it, it makes me so happy. And even your energy makes me happy. It is contagious. I don't know if you, you know this, but that is the effect you certainly have on me. Um, and I just, for me, that's sexy. That's vibrant. That's, that's, you know, that's just the person that I won't want to be. That's everything. So tell me about this. Tell me how you how you do this. Tell me what aging means to you. And let's say if you were to visualize who you are in 20 years time, who is that person? OK, well, aging is uh, aging is a normal. We're all going to age. And, and I suppose people, some people have a huge hang up about it. What my idea of aging is that you age kind of gracefully and in good health because Disability and frailty and a disease and cancer are not a natural part of ageing. They actually aren't. And people have to get that out of their heads. Mm. You don't have to be like that. You can do your absolute, absolute utmost, which I do, to prevent it. But that is not what I'm doing. My my kind of grand scheme is to be as healthy mentally and physically as I can by because of what I eat and my my plant-based diet. And just to go back to my diet for a minute, I would very, very much recommend to prevent disease that you eat a preponderance of plants, green leafy vegetables, nuts, seeds and beans. Now, beans are a real love affair of mine. And I'm talking about the black beans and the Mm -hmm. soya beans and all the rest of them. I would buy them dried and soaked and then boiled and or put in casseroles, whatever. And I absolutely love them. We have beans every single evening. So I kind of long term plan because I'm really busy. I mean, I am mm-hmm. 61, but I'm really, really busy. I'm working full time more or less. My youngsters are reared, but there's still a lot of them at home. And yeah. I'm always driving um, and I do all my research into my gut health and more and more. I actually have um, a little book written for children um, to teach them about the microbiome, which I really, really want to get into schools. But I have talked to the Department of Education and it's very hard to change things in the, you know, the plans they have in the curriculum. But I want to get this book on the curriculum. And that is kind of my big aim now, because I think it could change healthcare in Ireland. It's not you know, it's a bit sick care we're doing now. I want to do preventative health care. That's what we all should be doing. So when you see the youngsters with their packet of custard creams and their Fanta at lunchtime, yeah. you know, that that would be a thing in the past in 10 or 20 years time. And that's and I will not see the results of this. What I do, I hope I in 20 years time you say to me, well, I'd hope I'll be in a cottage in your husband's home county of Kerry. <laughs> I would absolutely love to have a holiday home in Kerry. 
Um, I read an awful lot. I'd hope to definitely have an egg and definitely have hens and definitely have loads of books. And uh, yeah, I, I could see myself being very happy in 20 years time. I'll be old in 20 years time. If I do survive, I'll be 81 or two. So I, yeah, I would like to then be able to look back and see our health statistics changing hugely mm-hmm. because of what we know. Because we have no excuse when we know this. Yeah. Why the hell? Are we not teaching it to our children? Mm-hmm. It is so important. Yeah. And we can change Knowledge everything. Is Knowledge is power. Yeah, totally. Sure. And I want them to eat, you know, a plant-based diet with a small amount of meat, um, avoiding to a great extent red meat and okay. avoiding to a complete extent processed red meats like sausages, salami, Ham chorizo. Sandwich. Ham sandwich at lunch, desperate. Mm. Mm. They should not be eating at ham, pork, any of those. Um, very much in moderation, grass-fed beef, okay. And we are Irish when all yeah. said and done. And I don't want to knock all the farmers mm-hmm. or the lovely cows. But in America, it's a huge problem with the feedlots. Not yeah. so much here. But at the same time, red meat is inflammatory to yeah. the bowel, without a shadow of a doubt. So are the sugary snacks. So um, avoiding all those kind of things. Eating for health because... It is very easy to do it. You asked me about my vibrancy. I have never been as old, but I've never felt so well because I eat really well. What's on my plate, I would be dying to sit down to my breakfast, to eat my green leafy vegetables or my lettuce with my egg or whatever. I'd be if I have a new one, I'm absolutely delighted and rocket, whatever to try. And I look forward to eating and I crave those kind of foods. I don't crave. No, you would see me sitting and I will have a bun, a cup yeah. of tea. No problem because I have everything in moderation. Yeah. Would eat 90% of the time very well and 10% then you can afford to play around with. Sure. And that is all you have to do. You don't have, don't mind vegan, vegetarian, paleo. Yeah. All those awful diets, they do yeah. not work. Yeah. They don't work. Stop mm-hmm. that. Just plant-based, three quarters of your plate fruit, vegetables, seeds, nuts, fibre and one quarter then your animal protein, be it chicken or whatever, fish. Absolutely. And you know what, um, I'm right, that's addictive. That's it is absolutely addictive. That's I can addictive. 100% say that. Yeah. To feel and good. People, nothing nothing is, feels as good as that, as no. feeling strong and feeling healthy. Yeah. You know what I call that? I call that active ageing. Yeah, you know, suppose, active yeah. living, you know, that yeah. from Shawshank Redemption, you can get busy living or you can get busy dying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like this isn't a rehearsal. This, no, is it. this is it. And what are you going to do with your one and only life? Yeah. Well, yeah. you don't want to be yeah. frail in old age. You don't yeah. want to live till 90 and be in a nursing home gaga yeah. for the last decade. You know, be your, be your own best friend. You know, I've often heard that um, where yeah. people in therapy would put a photograph of their young child themselves, their own themselves as a, as a young child on the mirror. And what would you feed her? You know, how yeah. kind would you be to her or yeah. to him? Yeah. And we thank you so much for today. This has been an amazing <laughs> conversation. Even if it was just myself that heard it, but hopefully many, many will because we need we need this message put out there. And I'm so grateful to have people like you, women like you, and particularly women like you in our health in, this, in our health um, industry. It's so important. Thank and you. well done on that book, that initiative. That's yeah. incredible. I let that, you know when your legacy. Ready. Oh, I'll hear. I'll hear. <laughs> Maybe I'll pay a visit to that um, cottage in County Kerry. <laughs> Wonderful. And, and I'll eat some of your gorgeous eggs from your from your girls in the garden Lovely. Emery thanks again thank it's been you wonderful. so much thank you. thank you thank you so much for tuning in to today's conversation I hope you enjoyed it and got as much from it as I did 
Um, one thing that we never mentioned on the program or during the recording, and Dr. Yusuf Ryan was sorry that she didn't bring it up, as was I, was stress, a massive contributing factor to all cancers and to all inflammatory disease. And she said specifically, and she was sorry that she hadn't mentioned it because along with lifestyle, obviously this is a major factor and particularly childhood trauma. So there's something for you all to bear in the back of your mind and um, you know, the, the, realize the impact that child trauma, not only maybe traumas that have occurred in your previous life, but also those of you who have young children in your lives too. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do me a huge favor and go share it with your friends. I think Amory's message is so important that we put it out there um, and as many people get to hear it and benefit from it as possible. Until next time, you take care. <laughs>